Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. We are Ellen and Katie. That's me. And we are super excited to bring you the last episode for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Even though this is the last for the Sorcerer's Stone, it is not the least for Just Keep Rolling. Yep, not even a little bit. One book nearly down, six more to go. So let's go right into our rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. Harry stopped meddling, except for the part where he totally didn't. Hagrid has trust issues in that he does it too much. Neville finally shows us his Gryffindor by bravely standing up to the trio of dicks, only to be left in a bind once again. For some reason, Ron can't relax when being squeezed to death by shrubbery, but manages to chill out and get a good nap in when he gets knocked off his high horse. Hermione is thoroughly unamused by the Wondersass twins, but still manages to light a fire under their asses so they don't all go down in flames. And the movie made it 28.6% easier to get to the Sorcerer's Stone than the book. During episode 16, not meddling at all, our Potter pondering was, if you were a teacher at Hogwarts, what would you use to protect the Sorcerer's Stone? I'm so glad I came up with this question because we really got excellent responses. Yeah, we called for people to be creative and they delivered. (laughs) Such as Jen's suggestion to use a mysterious potato that no one would know what to do with. Strangely enough, she wasn't the only one to suggest using a potato. I think one of my favorite responses, though, was Jimmy's. He said he'd do something involving a Pac-Man effect so they would be stuck in the same room indefinitely. Which totally creates an interesting and amusing Harry Potter Pac-Man mashup in my head. (laughs) And I got a good laugh out of Tisha's response. She said, imagine being a Muggle Studies teacher and using completely Muggle-based obstacles where magic isn't allowed to be used to get through them. Most pureblood wizards and witches would be stumped. Carly had a great idea of using some form of a magical quicksand and then a muggle door that can't be fixed with magic where you have to pick the lock, basically. Get out the old tools. Yep. (laughs) Pretty much anything baffling from the muggle world. She says she can literally imagine Voldemort going, and storming out of the chamber. Fun side story. Carly spelled... Yeah, as N-E-Y-A-A-A-A-A-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H
Quincy is the one who suggested using Inferi. I told him Dumbledore would never allow it, and he said what Dumbledore doesn't know won't hurt him. Like there's anything that Dumbledore doesn't know. <laughs> but on a lighter note, some people suggested either giving it to their kids because of how quickly they can lose things, or setting it directly in front of their husband and kids and telling them to find it. <laughs> or putting it in a rubber duck because wizards have no idea what they're for. Oh, and the one that said first hire Kevin McAllister. <laughs> that one is doubly funny to me since Chris Columbus also directed the Home Alone series. Mm -hmm. I personally connected with the one who said she would just put it in her purse. No one will ever find it then. <laughs> I actually stopped carrying a purse for a while. Once when I was searching it for a bobby pin, I found my wallet, my cell phone, my keys, a rainbow set of pens, a calendar, a notebook, a paycheck stub, a hair flower, a paperclip, lip gloss, not one but two necklaces, not one but two spoons. The fuck? Three thank you cards and absolutely not a single bobby pin. I mean, yeah, that checks out. One of my favorites, though, was Lindsay's list of ideas. Number one, create an American version of the DMV and tell each person to take a number. It'll take 10 hours and they'll be told they don't have the right paperwork and need to try again tomorrow. Number two, create a room that's TSA and they have to try to get through the line 30 minutes before their flight using no magic. <laughs> Number three, a single coin-operated phone booth where they have to call a customer service line and actually get the management to admit they have made a mistake. <laughs> and number four, they finally get to the room with the stone only to find out it's already been destroyed. And then I'd, crazy thought here, lobby the school to stop hosting things that are a danger to staff and students. IDK. There was also Vlad who said he would put a fake stone turn it into a port key that would send the thief straight to Azkaban, which I think is brilliant. Mm -hmm. There were just so many amazing responses. Right, I wish we could keep going through them, but we need to just keep rolling. Right into our trivia question, which last week was, what flavor does Dumbledore think the Birdie Bot's every flavor bean is before he realizes that it is actually earwax flavored? Dumbledore thought he was about to eat a nice, safe toffee. Coming in hot with the correct answer in the hashtag code word, on his eighth week in a row, is Quincy. <laughs> he is unstoppable. Yay, Quincy. But considering that his birthday falls in between last week's episode and this episode, it seems like a good birthday present to himself to continue his streak. Right? Happy birthday, Quincy. Even if it is a couple days late at this point. He does have a birthday fundraiser up on Facebook that I shared on our page, raising money for the Trevor Project, whose mission is to end suicide among the LGBTQ youth. So check it out and donate if you can. It's definitely a great cause. Definitely. Let's just keep rolling into Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces and the Corresponding Film Scenes. Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. Harry is surprised to find himself face-to-face -face with Quirrell, who wasn't twitching or stuttering at all as he tells Harry that he wondered if he would see him there. Quirrell explains that Snape made a very convenient cover because no one would suspect him over Snape. Harry is really confused and wonders why Snape tried to kill him. Quirrell confesses that it was actually him the whole time and that Hermione had knocked him over and broke his eye contact before he could get him off the broom. Snape had been trying to protect him and that was also why he wanted to be the referee at the next Quidditch match. Quirrell says that it was all pointless, though, because he was going to kill him tonight anyways, and magically binds him with ropes. 
He tells Harry that he was too nosy to live, especially after Halloween. Harry realizes that Quirrell had let the troll in, and Quirrell brags about his special gift with trolls. He then tells Harry to be quiet so he can examine the Mirror of Erised, suspecting that it will tell him how to find the stone. Harry decides to distract him from the mirror and asks him a bunch of questions about Snape. He ends up learning that Snape and his father had been in school together and hated each other, so even though Snape was trying to protect Harry, he still despised him. Harry also learns that Snape suspected Quirrell from the beginning and was trying to intimidate him, but couldn't because Quirrell had Voldemort on his side. Harry asked him about the confrontation he overheard in the classroom, and Quirrell actually looks a little scared. He revealed that he had met Voldemort on his travels abroad, and that was when he learned that there is no good and evil, only power and those too weak to seek it. Quirrell has served him ever since then, but ever since he failed to steal the Sorcerer's Stone from Gringotts, Voldemort has kept a closer watch on him and is with him everywhere he goes. Harry remembers seeing Quirrell in Diagon Alley and can't believe he didn't realize it sooner. Quirrell is becoming very frustrated because he can't figure out how the mirror works. Harry knows that more than anything, he wants to get to the stone before Quirrell and thinks that if he can see in the mirror, he could figure it out. He tries to inch closer to the mirror and falls over because of the ropes. Quirrell ignores Harry and asks his master for help. Harry is horrified to hear a voice answer, Use the boy. Quirrell removes the ropes and tells Harry to look in the mirror. Harry walks forward, looks into the mirror, and sees himself. His reflection pulls the stone out of his pocket, winks, and puts it back. As he does so, Harry feels it appear in his own pocket for real. Quirrell asks what Harry sees, and Harry lies, saying that he sees himself winning the House Cup for Gryffindor. Quirrell shoves him aside, and Harry tries to make a break for it. Before he gets too far, though, the high voice spoke again, declaring Harry to be lying and asking to speak to him face to face. Quirrell protests, but gives in and removes his turban. He slowly turns, and Harry is shocked to see a face where the back of Quirrell's head should have been. It was white, with red eyes and snake-like nostrils. Voldemort speaks, explaining that though he was extremely weak, he has been using the unicorn blood to strengthen himself until he can get a hold of the elixir of life and make himself a new body. He tells Harry to give him the stone in his pocket. Harry tries to back away and stumbles. Voldemort tells him that he should join him and save himself, or else he will go like his parents, begging for mercy. Harry calls Voldemort a liar. Quirrell walks backwards so that Voldemort can see Harry as he approaches him and continues to speak to him. He tells Harry more about how he killed his parents, that he killed his father first, but that his mother didn't need to die. She died protecting Harry, and Harry should give him the stone so she didn't die in vain. Harry yells, never, and tries to run towards the door, but Quirrell caught him and grabbed his wrist. Pain shoots through his scar, making it feel like his head is going to split in two, but to his surprise, Quirrell lets go of him. The pain lessens and he looks around to see Quirrell hunched over, his hand blistering. Voldemort screams for Quirrell to seize him, and Quirrell tries again to grab him, but once he gets his hands around Harry's neck, he blisters and cannot hold on to him. Harry reacts instinctively and grabs Quirrell's face, causing the burns to show up on his face too. Realizing Quirrell can't touch his bare skin without feeling pain, Harry jumps up and grabs a hold of him. 
Though the pain in his scar was throbbing, he could hear Quarles screaming in agony and held on. Harry also thought he could hear someone saying his name as he started to black out. He saw something gold glinting above him and tried to catch it, thinking it was the snitch, but couldn't move his arms. Harry blinks and realizes it wasn't the snitch, but a pair of glasses. Professor Dumbledore's face comes into focus. Harry desperately begins to tell him about the stone and that it was Quirrell until Dumbledore interrupts, letting him know that he is behind the times, that Quirrell did not get the stone. Harry looks around and sees that he is in the hospital wing, with a lot of candy on his bedside table. Dumbledore explains that they are gifts from friends and admirers, because everyone seems to know what happened between him and Professor Quirrell. Harry learns that he has been unconscious for three days, but will not be distracted from the stone and asks about it again. Dumbledore tells him that once he reached London, he realized he should have been at Hogwarts and went back, arriving just in time to prevent Quirrell from getting the stone. He said the effort nearly killed Harry and he was worried that he had almost been too late, but that the stone has been destroyed. Harry asks if this means Nicholas Flamel will die, and Dumbledore is pleased to see that Harry investigated the stone properly and tells him that Flamel and his wife have enough elixir stored to set their affairs in order and then yes, they will die. He says, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. Harry is silent for a while, then wonders if destroying the stone would actually stop Vol, you know who, from coming back, or if he would just find another way. Dumbledore insists that Harry should call him Voldemort, because fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself, but does confirm that Voldemort will keep trying. Harry tells him that there are some other things he wants the truth about, and Dumbledore promises that though he may not be able to give the answer, he will not lie. Harry wants to know why Voldemort wanted to kill him in the first place, but Dumbledore says that he cannot tell him this yet. Harry accepts this and asks why Quirrell couldn't touch him. Dumbledore explains that he was marked with love and protection from his mother's sacrifice, and it was agony for Quirrell, sharing his soul with Voldemort, to come in contact with something so good. Once Harry recovers from the emotion this information brings on, he asks about the invisibility cloak, to learn that Dumbledore was the one who had his father's cloak and gave it to him. He also asks about why Snape hated his father so much, and learns that while they had been at school together and detested each other, James had once saved Snape's life. Dumbledore theorized that he did not like living in the debt of a man he hated, and that saving Harry was a way to pay back that debt. Harry's final question was about how he got the stone out of the mirror. Dumbledore shares the brilliance of his plan with him, that only one who wanted to find the stone, but not use it, could get it out of the mirror. He then uses candy to distract Harry from asking more questions, taking what he thinks is a safe toffee-flavored Birdie Bot's every flavor bean, only discover that it is earwax-flavored. After Dumbledore leaves, Harry pleads with Madame Pomfrey to let Ron and Hermione visit, and convinces her to give them a few minutes. They are very glad to see him and ask what happened. The trio fill each other in and catch up on everything that happened. Ron wonders if Dumbledore gave Harry the cloak because he meant for him to go after the stone. Hermione thinks it would be terrible if he did, but Harry says that he thinks Dumbledore wanted to give him a chance. He knows basically everything that goes on at Hogwarts and knew they were going to try, so he taught them just enough to help them. Ron thinks Dumbledore is barking mad and tells Harry that he needs to make sure he can go to the feast. He says that Slytherin won, but the food will be good. Then Madame Pomfrey comes back and kicks out Ron and Hermione. Harry gets a good night's sleep and feels almost normal the next day. 
He asks Madame Pomfrey if he can go to the feast, and she says Dumbledore says he is to be allowed to go. Hagrid comes to visit Harry, and he is distraught that he told Quirrell how to get past Fluffy, and Harry could have died. As he is sobbing with remorse, Harry tries to reassure him that Voldemort would have figured out a way no matter what Hagrid did. Hagrid asks him not to say the name, and Harry yells, Voldemort, startling Hagrid out of his tears. He calms down enough to give Harry a photo album he made, full of pictures of Harry's parents. That evening, Harry heads to the Great Hall and finds it already full of students and decorated in green and silver. Everyone is staring at him, and he slips into a seat between Ron and Hermione. Dumbledore arrives a moment later and gives a speech before the feast. He announces the house standings, Gryffindor in fourth place with 312 points, Hufflepuff in third place with 352 points, Ravenclaw in second place with 426 points, and Slytherin in first place with 472 points. The Slytherins begin to cheer loudly, but Dumbledore says that there are some last-minute points to give out. Ron Weasley earns 50 points for the best-played game of chess. Hermione Granger earns 50 points for the use of cool logic in the face of fire. Harry Potter earns 60 points for pure nerve and outstanding courage. The Gryffindors are freaking out because the extra points have them in a tie with Slytherin. Dumbledore quiets the room again and awards 10 more points to Neville Longbottom for the bravery it takes to stand up to friends. As the Great Hall erupts in cheers, Dumbledore claps his hands and the decor changes to scarlet and gold. Snape doesn't seem very happy about it as he shakes McGonagall's hand. More good news comes in the form of exam results. Harry and Ron both pass with good marks, and Hermione is the best in the year. Then, everything is packed up, they are given letters reminding them not to use magic over the holidays, and they are on the train back to King's Cross Station. Ron says Harry and Hermione need to come visit over the summer. As the trio are saying goodbye to each other, the Dursleys show up to get Harry and are very unpleasant. Hermione looks uncertain as she tells Harry to have a good holiday and is surprised to see Harry's grin. He is certain he will have a good holiday as the Dursleys have no idea he isn't allowed to use magic. In the movie, when this scene starts out, Harry walks down the stairs, feels a pain in his scar, and is shocked to see Professor Quirrell standing in front of the mirror of Erised. He tries to protest, saying that he thought it was Snape, but Quirrell, speaking without any stutter at all, says that, yes, he does seem the type. Next to Snape, who would suspect him? Harry questions why Snape tried to kill him at the Quidditch match, and Quirrell tells him that it was actually he who tried to kill him. That if Snape's cloak hadn't caught fire and broke his eye contact, he would have succeeded, even with Snape muttering the counter curse. Harry is super confused that Snape was trying to save him, but is distracted when he realizes that Quirrell let the troll in on Halloween. Quirrell admits that he tried to get the stone that night, but Snape stopped him and never trusted him from then on, keeping a very close watch over him and never leaving him alone. He turns back to the mirror, saying that Snape doesn't understand, that he is never alone, and the pain in Harry's scar intensifies. Quirrell turns his attention to the mirror and says he sees himself holding the stone but doesn't understand how to get it. A disembodied voice says, use the boy, and Quirrell yells at Harry to come to him. Harry slowly approaches the mirror and sees his reflection pull the Sorcerer's Stone out of his pocket, wink, and put it back in. Harry realizes the stone is now in his pocket for real, and he lies to Quirrell, saying that he is shaking hands with Dumbledore because he's won the House Cup. 
The creepy voice whispers that he lies, and Quirrell demands he tell the truth. Harry just looks at him, and the voice asks to speak to him. Quirrell says he isn't strong enough, but the voice insists, and he removes his turban. In the reflection of the mirror, we see a horrifying face come out of the back of Quirrell's head and address Harry, who realizes that it is Voldemort. Voldemort tells Harry that he has become a parasite who must rely on the others to survive. Unicorn blood helps sustain him, but to get a body of his own, he needs what is in Harry's pocket. Harry immediately tries to run, but Quirrell snaps his fingers and flames spring up around the room, blocking the exit. Voldemort uses this opportunity to try to convince Harry to join him, and Harry yells, Never! Voldemort laughs and comments on how brave his parents were, too, and tells Harry that together they could bring his parents back. All he asks for is something in return. An image of his parents is reflected to Harry in the mirror. He pulls the stone out of his pocket and looks at it. Voldemort says there is no good and evil, only power in those too weak to seek it. He demands the stone and the vision of Harry's parents fade. Harry calls Voldemort a liar, and Voldemort calls for Quirrell to kill him. Quirrell flies forward, knocks Harry back, and gets a hand around his throat. Harry grabs a hold of Quirrell's hand, causing Quirrell such pain he releases Harry, backing away with his hand turning to ash and crumbling away. Voldemort orders him to get the stone, but before Quirrell can get to it, Harry runs up to him and places both of his hands on Quirrell's face, which also ashes up and crumbles to nothing. Quirrell's clothes collapse to the ground in a cloud of ashes, and Harry picks the stone back up. Behind him, Voldemort's spirit launches through him and out of the chamber, leaving Harry unconscious. Harry wakes up in the hospital wing and finds his glasses on the bedside table, along with many cards and a lot of candy. Professor Dumbledore approaches and explains that they are tokens from his admirers. Harry is surprised to learn that he has admirers, and Dumbledore explains that everyone knows what happened with Quirrell. After Harry makes sure Ron and Hermione are okay, he asks about the stone, and Dumbledore reveals that he and his friend Nicholas Flamel had a chat and agreed that it is best to destroy it. Harry asks if that means Flamel will die, and Dumbledore tells him that he has enough elixir left to set his affairs in order, but then yes, he will die. Harry then asks how he got the stone, and Dumbledore explains that only a person who wants to find the stone, but not use it, would be able to get it, and calls it one of his more brilliant ideas. Harry wants to know if that means Voldemort can ever come back, but Professor Dumbledore says that there are still ways he could return. He explains to Harry that Professor Quirrell couldn't bear his touch because Harry's mother sacrificed herself to save him, and that leaves a mark. Harry initially thinks he means his scar, but Dumbledore corrects him, explaining that it is love. As he gets up to leave, Dumbledore notices Bertie Bott's Every Flavor Beans and tells a story about losing his liking for them because he came across a vomit-flavored one in his youth. He decides he will be safe with a nice toffee and eats it, only to find that it was earwax-flavored. Harry leaves the hospital wing and finds Ron and Hermione waiting for him. They are never better. Cut to the end of the year feast. The hall is decorated with silver and green Slytherin hangings and full of chatter. Professor McGonagall clinks a spoon against her glass and Dumbledore stands to speak. He shares the house standings. Gryffindor is fourth with 312 points. Hufflepuff in third with 352 points. Ravenclaw in second place with 426 points, and Slytherin in first with 472. The Gryffindors all look pretty bummed as Snape and the Slytherins enthusiastically clap and cheer. Dumbledore congratulates them, but says there are a few last-minute points to give out. 
Miss Hermione Granger receives 50 points for the cool use of intellect when others were in grave peril. Mr. Ronald Weasley receives 50 points for the best played game of chess that Hogwarts had seen these many years. Mr. Harry Potter receives 60 points for pure nerve and outstanding courage. Hermione points out that they are now tied with Slytherin, and Dumbledore announces that he also awards Neville Longbottom 10 points for the bravery required to stand up to friends. Now the Gryffindors erupt into cheers, and Dumbledore claps his hands, changing the Slytherin hangings to scarlet and gold Gryffindor hangings, announcing that Gryffindor wins the House Cup. Everyone but Slytherin celebrates. The scene changes, and everyone is loading up the train, getting ready to head home. Hagrid is ushering people around. Before Harry gets on the train, he goes to say goodbye to him. Hagrid gives him a photo album that shows a moving picture of James, Lily, and baby Harry. Harry says thanks, Hagrid, and gives him a hug. Before Harry gets on the train, Hagrid tells Harry that if Dudley gives him any more trouble, he could always threaten him with ears to go with his pigtail. Harry reminds Hagrid that he isn't allowed to do magic outside of school, and Hagrid tells Harry that he knows that, but Dudley doesn't, and winks. Harry goes to get on the train, and Ron and Hermione are waiting at the door. Hermione says it feels strange to be going home, and Harry says that he's not really going home. The train starts moving, and he waves from the window. There is one last glimpse of the train leaving the station before the film cuts to the credits. So, both the book and movie start out with Harry in the final chamber, mm-hmm. coming face-to-face with the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the movie, Harry's scar gives him hairballs. You know, he's like... <sighs> Like, he makes the weirdest noise. He's just like... (sighs) Yeah, he really did. (laughs) The book never actually had Harry's scar hurt until Quirrell physically placed his hands on him. In general, there are really only minor changes throughout the first part of this section. But as it is the big reveal of the story, it would have made no sense whatsoever to Mm -hmm. make any major changes. Mm -hmm. Harry meets the bad guy and is shocked to find out who it is. Yeah, surprise, Harry. It's not Snape or Voldemort. All of your meddling and you still don't figure out who the bad guy is. Yep. So Coral is the bad guy and Harry is surprised. Why are you not Snape? Right? That's obviously the same in the book and the movie as well as Quirrell's sudden loss of speech impediment. Mm -hmm. We talked about this in an earlier episode where we were discussing Ian Hart and his ability to fake stutter, and it made his enunciation in this scene all the more effective. I can just imagine what it would be like for Harry. He shows up expecting to run into Snape or maybe Voldemort, and instead finds the meek Professor Quirrell, who can now speak boldly and without any stutter. Yeah, no wonder he's confused and immediately starts asking a bunch of questions. Can I just point out, we had talked about Harry's treatment from the Dursleys conditioning him to not ask questions, being part of the reason he didn't immediately start questioning Hagrid about his parents and whatnot. Yeah. I think he got over that. Yeah. Because dude starts asking all of the questions. (laughs) That he did and that he does. In both, Quirrell reveals that he was actually the one that was cursing the broom, not Snape. In the movie, he says that when Snape's cloak caught fire, it broke his eye contact. Yeah, and in the book, Quirrell specifically stated that it was Hermione that set Snape's cloak on fire, that she broke his eye contact as she knocked him over. I also just want to point out that I think this was a much better reveal in the book than the movie. It was such a subtle mention in the book that Hermione accidentally knocked Quirrell over in her haste to set Snape aflame that it could have easily gone unnoticed. 
Yeah, and in the movie, he was in the background pretty obviously muttering under his breath. Plus, they made quite the show of teacher dominoes knocking him over. This has nothing to do with Harry Potter, but you just made me think of my kindergarten class at the beginning of the school year. I was trying to get them to line up properly, and they were too close to the door, so I couldn't open it. So I'm telling them all to take two steps backwards, and they aren't the most coordinated. Well, they're kindergartners, yes. so. Yeah. So one kid at the front of the line trips backwards and falls and literally knocks the entire line of kinders down like a row of dominoes. Oh, my God. <laughs> no one was hurt, so it was hilarious. It works out if no one got hurt. Yeah. You know? If they got hurt, we'd be dicks for laughing, but. No, nobody was hurt. Cause, and then, like, I was just like. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. And then when the kindergarten teacher showed up to pick him up, I told her the story and she started laughing too. So it was actually funny. I'm sure it's not the first time it's happened for her. Probably not. Probably not. But let's just keep on rolling. I I feel like it would be interesting to watch the movie with fresh eyes, having never read the books. Was Mm. the quarrel reveal as much of a surprise like in the book? Or were the visual clues more obvious than the written clues? I don't know. See, I think that there was such a gap between when I read the book to when I watched the movies that I didn't really end up feeling like the teacher domino was all that obvious. I like I see what you're saying, though, because now now we watch it and it's super like you can tell right away. Right. I wonder how much of my current thoughts are based on the idea that I've just seen this movie so many times that it's tough to remember if I even noticed that stuff the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was probably just really distracted by Alan Rickman being Alan Rickman. True story. And doing that little, like, hair flip where he's uh, like, Whoa. maybe he's born with it. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> Sorry. Harry is asking all of the questions to try and keep Coral distracted from figuring out the mirror of Erised and because he's genuinely confused. It is a little different in the movie. He doesn't ask nearly as many questions. It's just... Kept to, like, the basic, like, wait, shit, you're the bad guy? You let the troll in? And, wait, Snape was actually trying to save me? What the hell? Yeah, the book gives us more details. Because we learned that Harry's father and Snape were at school together and hated each other. Mm -hmm. And that even though he was protecting Harry, Snape still didn't like him. We also learned that the non-meddling Harry overheard Voldemort threatening Quirrell in the empty classroom. Mm -hmm. And Quirrell tells Harry that Voldemort taught him that there is no good and evil only power in those too weak to seek it. Which we do hear that line in the movie just a bit further on, and we'll address it more then, but they let Voldemort say it instead. Right. And another difference is that Quirrell actually snaps his fingers and magically conjures up ropes to bind Harry. Mm-hmm. And plus, since it's a book and we're privy to Harry's train of thought, we know that he wants to try and get to the mirror to figure out where the stone is before Quirrell can. He's all tied up but trying to edge closer to the mirror and ends up falling over. Yeah. In the movie, there were no bindings, like at all. Quirrell can't figure out the mirror, and an apparently random, creepy voice just says, Use the boy! And Quirrell forces Harry to come forward to the mirror. That was Harry's super awkward stiff arm walk. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, like, just down by his side. Yeah. Until we started working on this episode, it hadn't occurred to me that Quirrell was forcing Harry to move forward. Since in the book, he approached the mirror willingly, Mm -hmm. planning on figuring out where the stone was to lie about it. Yeah. But what he saw in the mirror, obviously, that was spot on. You know, mirror Harry pulls the stone out of his pocket, winks, and puts it back. And real Harry notices that now the stone is actually in his pocket. Yeah, and his lie about what he saw was the same, too. I'm shaking hands with Dumbledore. I've won the house cup. Mm -hmm. Then in both, the random creepy voice speaks again, declaring Harry to be lying. 
Yeah, though I think the movie disembodied voice is a bit quicker on the uptake than book disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. Harry actually has a bit of time to start edging his way to the door before Voldy outs him. Yeah, in the movie, Coral immediately demands that Harry tells the truth, and Voldemort asks to speak to him, and Coral tries to argue, but in the end unravels the turban and reveals Voldemort's face on the back of his head. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of wish that Voldemort's voice had been muffled before the turban was removed. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god. That's like, he's like, what? 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 Oh, for God's sake, let me just take this thing off. Yes. And this is where it starts to change from the book somewhat. When Quirrell removes the turban, he turns around so Voldemort is facing Harry to speak to him. The movie actually gets a little more artsy with this, and it has us seeing Voldemort's reflection in the mirror, so we can see his and Quirrell's face at the same time. And this is also the part where Voldemort says the line about good and evil, which I think kind of makes sense, even though the book has Quirrell saying it, it was originally Voldemort's words. Yeah, as nitpicky as I am, it didn't bother me that much. It almost felt like it was paying homage to the book. And I agree that it did make sense, considering that Voldemort was trying to convince Harry to join him. Yeah, I mean, if it worked on Quirrell, why not try it again? Oldie but a goodie. (laughs) And he did try to convince Harry to join him and save himself in the book, too. But it seemed like a more half-hearted effort compared to the movie. That was about all he said. Join me and save yourself so your mother, that I killed, doesn't die in vain. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't say the that I killed part. I ad-libbed that. Yeah, I gotcha. (laughs) Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, they had movie Voldy try to sell it a bit more. He even tried to tell Harry that together they could bring his parents back and tempted him with parental reflections. But before he could seal the deal, he cut his nose off to spite his face, and his anger and desperation for the stone showed Harry that it was nothing but false promises. He's a liar! (laughs) But cutting off his nose to spite his face, really? Oh, come on, that's clever. That's clever. I suppose... You wish you would have thought of it. I suppose it could totally explain what happened to his face after this film. (laughs) At least this Voldy had vaguely red eyes, but really, what was up with that nose? I still think his eyes could have been redder. I mean, that's not how I imagined it, but just keep rolling. Okay. (laughs) We were talking about Voldemort trying to convince Harry to join him, and I think it was an interesting addition to the movie. I think trying to entice Harry is completely within Voldemort's character, though I don't think Harry would have ever been even a little bit tempted. And I feel like the movie had that moment where he was looking at his parents' reflection and possibly considering what he would do to get them back. Yeah, it definitely just added a bit more drama to the scene. That it did, along with the next part. In the book, when Harry refuses to join him and tries to make a run for it, Quirrell runs after him and grabs him by the wrist and has to let go because his hand is blistering. And this is also when Harry actually feels that pain in his scar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the movie is way more dramatic than that. Harry tries to run and Coral snaps his fingers and makes fire blocking the exit. Then the leapfrog champion of 1992 flies at him and grabs him by the throat. And blisters? I think not. Let's just disintegrate this bitch's entire hand, shall we? (laughs) 
Another change is that in the book, Quirrell couldn't touch Harry without experiencing the blisters and the pain. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, Quirrell got his hand all up on Harry's neck and didn't start sizzling until Harry grabbed his hand trying to remove it. Yeah. Yeah, the movie did make it about Harry's touch rather than touching Harry. Um, phrasing? Are we still doing phrasing? Did you want to reword that? Mm, no, you know exactly what I meant. Let's just keep rolling. Don't focus on it so much. In both, you know, Voldy has no sympathy for the asshole. Ashhole. <laughs> Voldy has no sympathy for the asshole. Though in the movie, he specifically orders him to get the stone. Yeah, and in the book, he sends him after Harry. The Ashhole gets his hands around Harry's neck, but still can't hold on. You're going to get on me about cutting his nose off to spite his face, and then you're going to do Ashhole. Really. Uh-huh. Harry grabs his face and holds on with all he's got, even though he is feeling a horrible pain in his scar. Quirrell's face is blistering and burning, and Harry is losing consciousness, though he can hear Quirrell screaming and thinks he hears someone calling his name. In the movie, Harry lunges toward Quirrell and grabs his face, committing some justifiable homicide on Quirrell's ass. On his ash. On Quirrell's ash. Are Are you done with the ash jokes? By the time this episode comes out, you will appreciate them. It's a slow burn. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) But really, though, movie Harry kills Quirrell and watches him die. Book Harry burns him and then passes out. Quirrell does die, but mostly because Voldemort abandoned him in a weakened state. And being possessed by someone isn't good for you anyways. Horrible ramifications on the psyche, I'd imagine. But after Harry kills Quirrell, Spirit Voldy rises from his body and flies right through Harry, and this is what leaves Harry unconscious, it seems. But in both, he wakes up in the hospital and is greeted by Dumbledore. Sure. However, I start to get really nitpicky at this point, because again, I think the writers messed up movie Dumbledore. Pick those nits, girl. Oh, I will pick them. (laughs) I'm a picker. In the book, Dumbledore lets Harry ask a bunch of questions and explains everything, save for why Voldemort wanted to kill him in the first place. Yeah, there's no talk about this in the movie at all. Dumbledore does let Harry ask some questions, but they're centered around the stone, Nicholas Flamel, and why Quirrell couldn't stand Harry's touch. It doesn't go really beyond that. Yeah, I feel like they had a very similar conversation, but that the movie was so watered down from the book that it lost a lot of the meaning and also hindered understanding of the deeper themes. It also took away from Dumbledore's omniscient quality and the implication that he intended Harry to go after the stone. For one thing, he gave Harry the invisibility cloak, and they never even mentioned that in the movie. Mm -hmm. For another, in the book, he was pleased that Harry had investigated properly and learned about Flamel, whereas in the movie, he's the one who brought up Flamel. He also didn't get to say, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. I really, I miss that line. Yeah. I like that line a lot. But I mean, I I kind of feel like in the movie, and this doesn't make it okay, mind you, like with the cloak, you assume that Dumbledore's the one who gave him the cloak. Who else would have given him the cloak? Hagrid would have signed his name to the damn thing and didn't have such pretty handwriting either. You know, McGonagall, why would McGonagall give him an invisibility cloak to break some rules with? Right, but with, so I feel know, like owls being able to deliver letters, it could have come from outside of Hogwarts as well. True, but even then, who would have done that? Who would have sent it? I mean, I just, I feel like, 
again, this doesn't justify it. I think this is still kind I of just, stupid. But right, and I and I see what you're saying that that should have been kind of obvious. But the fact that they went as far as to have the note saying your father left this in my possession and then never closed that yeah. there was no closure on it it's just like we're going to introduce this concept and then just leave it hanging oh honey we have so much more cl- non-closure oh i know i'm issues gonna pick to go the through. shit out of this they also <laughs> never even addressed the fact that snape completely hates harry yet was trying to save him plus mm-hmm. it omitted a part that cracked me up when harry refers to him as snape and dumbledore corrects him saying professor snape and instead of actually showing Professor Snape some respect, Harry just says, yeah, him. <laughs> I mean, for that, they could have just been trying to keep Snape in that gray area and not reveal too much about him, I guess. Like, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying there, but I just feel like that's shitty writing. I don't disagree with you there. But at this point, they probably didn't realize how just how much of a role Snape would play in the future to think to include things like that. Yeah. Or maybe they thought they could throw it in in another one where it might make more sense. And that's a good point. Sometimes I wish they had waited until more of the books were out before they started writing screenplays. Yeah. Though then you'd have the butterfly effect and nothing about them would be the same. And we have already come to the conclusion that we are quite happy with the actors they chose and we wouldn't want that to change, which it would if they would have waited. For sure. I derailed us again. So back to the the chapter at hand. What? You? Okay. In both, Harry asked how he got the stone out of the mirror, and they kept that explanation the same, pretty much. Right down to Dumbledore declaring it to be one of his more brilliant plans, because he's very modest like that. Oh, extremely. (laughs) Um, This isn't a comparison between the two so much, but one thing I did notice here is that Dumbledore specifically said that only someone who wanted to find the stone but not use it would be able to get it. He said mm-hmm. otherwise they would see themselves making gold or drinking the elixir of life. The book specifically stated that Quirrell saw himself presenting the stone to his master, which isn't actually using the stone. That's an interesting thought. I mean, maybe since Voldemort was possessing Quirrell, he would have had to drink it regardless, like with the unicorn blood. So it was one and the same and counted as him wanting to use it? Because they were like the same person? I mean, that's probably the case. I just got a little nitpicky about the wording. What? You? Nitpick? That's silly. You're silly today. Another thing that I got a little (laughs) nitpicky about... What? ...is in the book, before Harry asks all his questions, he tells Dumbledore that he has them and wants the truth. Dumbledore promises that he won't lie... But after going through the rest of the series, I always felt kind of like he did lie about Snape's motivation for trying to protect Harry. And we will discuss this more in the future, but I think at the very least, Dumbledore took some creative licenses explaining why Snape would protect Harry when he despised him so much. I mean, isn't that just kind of... um, How do I put this? Dumbledore? Perhaps. (laughs) I'm more inclined to defend him than vilify him, though. That very well could have been Dumbledore's own assessment of Snape's action. And Mm -hmm. even though he knows there's more to the story, he could honestly believe that that was part of it too. Maybe. I was just really glad that they included the birdie bots bit, which was our trivia question this week. I was honestly a little disappointed in Dumbledore's Alas Earwax. Yeah. The, The book described him as choking it out, and I imagined a bigger reaction than what the film did. Yeah, he just kind of, he kept eating it. Why would you keep eating earwax? Well, and he did that... Like, and it almost sounded like, like you smack your lips in usually an enjoyment of something. Hmm. 
Not necessarily. I mean, I didn't. I, that didn't really bother. That part didn't bother me personally. But, but it, it was just. It was almost like a. Hmm. Alas, earwax. It's the only time I, I'm going to critique the way that Richard Harris delivered a line as Dumbledore. I do think normally they I didn't like the lines, but in this moment, I didn't like his delivery of it. I do think they could have thrown a little like extra humor. I think I think it would have been kind of hilarious if like he would have just taken it out of his mouth and like put it under a desk or something, <laughs> put it under the table. Yeah, because you have you the know? visual aspect; it'd be hilarious. Like, yeah, taking like, it out of his mouth. Alas, earwax. I'm just gonna stick that there. But, no, they can't do that, obviously. The movie just goes straight from that conversation with Dumbledore to Harry leaving the hospital and finding Ron and Hermione waiting for him. Yeah, and this omitted them visiting him in the hospital, as well as Hagrid coming to visit him and giving him the photo album. Mm -hmm. They do show that in the very last scene, though, so at least we didn't miss out on it completely. Yeah, and honestly, this cut didn't bother me as much since the conversation among the trio would have literally just been a recap of what we just watched happen. Mm -hmm. So it really wasn't necessary to show. Yeah. Movies don't usually do conversations about what the audience already saw, especially not when they are cutting things they shouldn't have for time. Like, I would have been pissed if they had a pointless recap scene just because it existed in the book when they left out fucking peeves. I agree, though I did find it really interesting the way Ron and Hermione reacted to learning that Dumbledore left Harry the invisibility cloak. Mm -hmm. Ron wondered if Dumbledore meant him to go after the stone, and Hermione thought that it would be awful if he did. Then Harry explains why he doesn't think it was awful, which I feel like the trio's views of Dumbledore accurately represent the fandom's thoughts on him. Yeah, Ron is suspicious, and Hermione thinks he's terrible, and Harry defends him. Exactly. That's... The trifecta. <laughs> right? I did really miss part of this scene, though. I wish they had given Hagrid his moment to feel super guilty about accidentally revealing how to get past Fluffy. Mm. It would have been so fun to see him hysterically bawling <laughs> and have Harry shock him into silence by bellowing, Voldemort! <laughs> yeah, that would have been great to see. But the scene in the Great Hall was pretty much spot on to the book, so there's that. Yeah, the green and silver Slytherin decorations, mm. Dumbledore's speech, and they even used the exact scores, standings, and points from the book, too. They couldn't use Dudley's exact number of presents, but they got the exact right. number of house points right, so there's that. There's something. Yeah. Did you notice, though, that in the movie, Dumbledore awarded points to Miss Hermione Granger, Mr. Ronald Weasley, Mr. Harry Potter, and then... Neville Longbottom. Oh, yeah. Poor <laughs> Neville doesn't get a title. Just significantly less points than the others. Right. <laughs> Though I do love that Dumbledore saved him for last, mm -hmm. making his points the tiebreaker. I think that was such a sweet thing for him to do. Definitely. Yeah. Make Neville the hero for once, you know. Though how funny would it have been if Dumbledore did the math wrong and Gryffindor still didn't win? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can just see it. Dumbledore's all like, if my calculations are correct, a change of decoration is needed. And Snape is saying, um, Professor, no, Slytherin is still the winner. And Dumbledore just thinks he's being a sore loser. <laughs> and then you have McGonagall in the background. In the background. And she can clearly math, obviously, because she's McGonagall. So she's absolutely aware that Gryffindor didn't win. And going through a struggle, like, does she tell him? Honesty wins out. She leans forward and whispers into Dumbledore's ear, you know. And then Dumbledore squints down at a blank napkin <laughs> and pretends that he wrote the points on it and says, 
I can't read my own writing. Neville was supposed to get um two plus because carry the one. <laughs> seventeen points. Yes, that was a seventeen, not a ten. <laughs> that would have been almost as good as Nazi von Douchebag the Second's puppy dog face when he realized that Gryffindor had actually beat them. I also loved the visual of the whole Great Hall cheering and throwing hats up in the air Mm -hmm. when everyone at the Slytherin table is just dejectedly sitting there in silence. Yeah. Even though I'm willing to admit that it's a total dick move to let Slytherins think they won and award points at the very last second to change the standings. (laughs) Harry was in the hospital for multiple days. There was plenty of time to give those points out and crush Slytherin's hopes a little less publicly. Right. It was a dick move. I mean... It really was. I'm trying not to be, like, super Slytherin here, but, like, we fuck it, we won. We won fair and square. There should have been a cutoff point of, like, you can't award points at the goddamn leaving feast when all of our decorations are already up. Because fuck you, that's why. But alas, <laughs> Dumbledore does whatever the fuck Dumbledore wants. <sighs> Bastard. But we can at least get some enjoyment out of the fact that it was exactly like it was in the book. So there's that. Then the movie cuts to everyone loading the train. And Harry finally gets the photo album from Hagrid, which, single tear, you know. (laughs) Uh, No guilt from him, though. We just see the one picture of baby Harry with James and Lily. And then Harry and Hagrid say goodbye. I am so glad they didn't cut out the album. Right. Because it's about damn time that Harry gets some pictures of his parents. Mm -hmm. And then Hagrid puts out his hand to shake Harry's, (laughs) who initially takes it, but then is just like, brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. (laughs) Though this is not quite how it was in the books. They mention exam results and how they all passed, with Hermione being the best in the year. They also get letters specifically telling them that they aren't allowed to use magic over the holidays. This is alluded to in the movie, obviously, though, because Hagrid suggests that Harry could threaten Dudley with a pair of ears to go with his tail, and Harry reminds him they aren't allowed to do magic. And I think of that as a nice nod to the book. Hagrid isn't the one who gives Harry that idea, but the concept is there. Mm -hmm. While Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all saying goodbye at King's Cross Station, Vernon comes to pick up Harry, and he's extremely unpleasant, and Hermione tells him to have a good holiday all the while looking at Vernon and doubting that he will. And that's when (laughs) Harry says he will, because they have no idea he can't use magic. Right. I honestly enjoyed the ending of the movie better when Hermione says that, you know, it's strange to be going home. And Harry says, I'm not going home. Not really. (laughs) I got goosebumps. I get goosebumps every time, like a little single tear. Yeah, it really was a great ending. And now, speaking of endings, here we are at the end of the first book. Do, 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 Roll credits. Roll credits. Roll credits. Oh, wait. We can't, because we got some Potter Ponderings. Or a Potter Pondering. Fine, we have a Potter Pondering. Since the movie has us seeing Voldemort's reflection in the mirror of Erised, it made us wonder, what would Voldemort see in the mirror? Yeah, so let us know. What do you think Voldemort would see in the mirror of Erised? You can go to our Facebook page and find the post. Give us your thoughts. We'd love to hear them or yeah. read them. Moving on to this week's Sorting Hat story. It is from Sunny Han. She writes, So I actually discovered Harry Potter through my youth group at church. Probably the only good thing to come from a church youth group. <laughs> 
and I got the audiobook because the books were all checked out at the library. I had the Jim Dale version and was mostly confused by a lot of things. A school that's magical but named something weird like Hogwarts? I didn't have the internet then, so I couldn't really double check anything. All I could do was replay Hogwarts over and over to confirm that the name of the school was actually something like Toad Pimple. So weird. <laughs> That's just funny to say out loud. The audiobook provides a tune when they sing the school song. Hoggy Warty Hogwarts is still a phrase that pops in my head from time to time. I remember being drawn to the Hufflepuff house because it sounded the most pleasant, soft, and not aggressive. Fast forward to the explosion of the fandom. I was pretty sure Hogwarts wasn't real, but waited for my letter anyways. <laughs> and there were these Angel Fire GeoCity websites that had Hogwarts quizzes. Every quiz I've taken since has sorted me into Ravenclaw, even now, despite the fact that initially I was definitely interested in Hufflepuff. I don't remember my wand. It had a phoenix feather, though, originally. But let's just say I lost it. Just retook the quiz, and my new wand is 13 inches elderwood with a dragon heartstring core. Nice. Well, that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, The Philosopher's Stone makes reference to crumpets. What are crumpets called in the Sorcerer's Stone? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer, and the code word hashtag T, hashtag time. Hashtag T time. Hashtag T, hashtag time. You can camel case it, but it's all one word. Hashtag T time. I'm gonna camel case your ass in a minute. That sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, if you do this, you will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Another thing we're doing now is if you guys would follow us on Podbean, then send us an email, we will send you a button. Buttons, bitches! And we've got Just Keep Rolling, Bitch is a Witch, Motherfucker's a Wizard, and Pride Buttons as well. So follow us on Podbean so Podbean starts advertising for us. Mm-hmm. Help us out, please. And, and we'll send your, you a button. And help yourself by getting your ass a button. Not to mention the fact that if you do follow us on Podbean, you can get the episodes a little bit sooner and that can give you an edge in beating Quincy. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. This was the last chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but nowhere near the last episode of Just Keep Rolling. Join us next week for a special episode that will include some of our favorite moments from the Sorcerer's Stone episodes and... A comparison between Sorcerer's Stone and Philosopher's Stone. After that, we will start in on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.